And, um, of course, I've got to say earlier that we're, we're lucky to have Leanne with us this evening. So if you've got any other questions about Haggai, you can ask her, seeing as she's been speaking on the youth weekend away about that one too. Well, let me start with a trio of situations that I've faced this past week. This week, I took the train into London. And as I got onto the train, I saw an old school friend from behind. He's an old school friend who, even when he was growing up here in Harvenden, came to Christchurch at one point and showed an interest in Christian things. Now, the relationship has its complications. I convinced myself as I walked onto the train that now wasn't the right time to tap him on the shoulder and say hi. He turned right, I turned left. Scenario number two. I pull up at my house. I get out the door. There's a neighbor over the street there whose name I still don't know, and I've, I've lived 18 months in that house. I could have... I could have got out my car, walked across the road and said, hi, I'm really sorry, I don't know your name. I'm Phil, I, you know, it's nice to see you, see you in passing. But no, I, I think I gave him a nod and turned around and wandered into the house. I long to pray more. I have longed to pray more. This week, this is the third scenario, especially for other members of Christ Church Harpenden. Except I find it so much easier to deal with the immediate and the practical than I do to turn to the Lord. You see, maybe it's just me, but I find so often time, priorities, and my focus shifts to the horizontal, not to the vertical. To me and not to God. And it keeps me from building the church. And it keeps me from serving other people. And it keeps me from holding out the gospel as I know I should. And you know, things weren't so different 2,543 years ago in Haggai's day. For in Haggai's day, building the temple was the task at hand. It was the very reason they had returned from Babylon to Jerusalem, and yet they had stopped building it. They'd stopped. So God calls them. Look at verse 8. This is a really key verse. It kind of stands alone, really, in, the, in, the, in those verses that we read. And our attention is drawn to it. It's the action verse of the passage. Go up into the mountains, says God, and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honoured, says the Lord. Presumably the stones that had once made the temple up were still lying around. They're quite hard to shift. The timbers have all been burnt up. So go into the hills, collect timber to rebuild my house, says the Lord. It's the action verse, isn't it? The output, the thing that God wants them to do. So why are there all the other verses in there as well? Why can't just God say, go and build my house like you should have? Because of this, that God also wants the people to give careful thought to their ways. Did you see that phrase? It came up a couple of times. Verse uh, 5, give careful thought to your ways, says the Lord Almighty. And verse 7, this is what the Lord Almighty says, give careful thought to your ways. Literally in the Hebrew, it's put your ways to your heart, Right? Put your ways to your heart. Think about the way that you are living and put it to your heart. See what your heart makes of it. Consider it. Reflect. Think about it. You see, the people had returned in the years following 538 BC. And it's now 520 BC. It goes backwards, okay? Because, yeah, it always confuses me, all right? But it goes backwards, doesn't it? Because we're getting closer to 0 AD BC. 
So those who were babies when they came back to Jerusalem are now teenagers, nearly adults. Those who were toddlers are now young adults. Those who were young adults are now middle-aged and so on. Well, why was God now having to retell them to build his house? Well, in those 15 years or so in between uh, the, um, their return and this prophetic word from Haggai, things hadn't been straightforward. If you were to read Ezra chapter 3 and 4, there was local opposition to the building of the temple by those who had otherwise settled in Jerusalem. And there was a bureaucratic wrangle with the Babylonian Empire. And the exiles stopped building. So there had been external opposition. It had been hard for them. But in the, the word of the Lord through Haggai to these people, the external opposition to the building doesn't really feature. Rather, it's the internal reasons that the people are resisting building the temple. Their sinful hearts. He wants them to give careful thought to their ways and to realize the reasons that they themselves have stopped building the temple. So there's three things that God calls the people to consider. Consider your ways, he says. Three things, and three things for us too. Consider the time, consider your priorities, and consider me, says the Lord. Consider the time, firstly. You see, the people here had stopped building the temple because they had decided it was the wrong time. Look at verse 2. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say... The time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. The time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. When does this word come to the people? Well, it comes in the second year of King Darius on the first day of the sixth month. Now, the first day of any lunar month was a feast day, a new moon, a day when, by Jewish law, the people should have worshipped God, brought a sacrifice to him, sounded a trumpet over their offerings, brought burnt offerings to the Lord. So maybe it's against the backdrop of, of that supposed celebration that the people here feel how they feel. It's not the right time. It's just not the right time to build. Why not? Well, look at verses 5 and 6 in particular. Give careful thought to your ways, says the Lord. Here was their experience. The times weren't easy. The times were empty and frustrated and hollow. How do we, what do we see in verse 6? You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your full. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages, only put them in a purse with holes in it. They sow seed, but their harvest is frustrated. Likely, as a result, they, they do eat, but they never have enough to fill their, their tummies, nor do they have enough to drink, to satiate their thirst. Moreover, perhaps because the sheep are so emaciated from the lack of food in the ground, their wool is poor and their clothes don't keep them warm, or maybe it's just because they're wasting away and the clothes don't keep them warm either. Even those who hire themselves out as labourers find that the wages they earn disappear as if they never had them, or as if there were a hole in their wallet. Anyone else know that feeling? Well, I remember doing a telephone campaign for my old university where the point was that we were supposed to ring around old boys and girls from the college and extort money for, I mean, I mean um, raise donations for the college. And there was one tragic phone call, I still remember, um, because normally they followed a fairly predictable pattern. But there was one tragic call where the man said that there was no way he would give money to this old college because his life had become one disaster after another ever since leaving uni. And he now had no job, no income, no family, 
no life to speak of. And he was very honest with me. I wonder if I was perhaps the first person he talked to for quite a while. And his was a sad and tragic tale of frustration and sadness and hollowness and emptiness. I'm looking out here on a a room of fairly well-heeled, successful, accomplished people in various ways. But do we not all know something of that emptiness and hollowness and frustration of life? Humanly, things rarely work out exactly how we like, do they? We don't often stop enough to consider our ways because, well, if we did, then our conclusions might be a little too depressing. All of this considering of our ways ought to point us back to God. But the people had reflected on their situation and come to the opposite conclusion. Verse 2, hadn't they? The time hasn't come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Things are too difficult. Life is too frustrating. There's no food. How can we possibly build the house of the Lord now? And on a human level, we can understand that, can't we? We might say, look at all this other stuff going on in my life, Lord. How can I serve you now? How can I build the church now when all of this is happening? You can see that, can't you? How can I do that? When I was thinking about applying this to us, I was initially thinking of asking you how you use your time. You know, maybe install an app on your phone, see how much time you spend on different uh, apps on your smartphone. Now, there might be some wisdom in that, might there, as we consider the time that it is right now. And maybe some of us could benefit from thinking carefully about how we use our time. But I think actually a far more healthy and biblically wise way to apply this is to think about time with a capital T. What time are we in now? The people at that time didn't think that now was the time to build the house of the Lord. But what time, with a capital T, are we in now? Well, we're in the time, with a capital T, between Jesus coming the first time and Jesus' return. The first time he came, to die and to rise, to make a way for all people to come to God. The second time he will return, to gather all those who trust in him, to be with him forever, to take him to a new heavens and a new earth. And what's the time in Bible talk that we're in right now? Well, we're in that time, in that gospel age, that age of opportunity. The New Testament would tell us that the very reason this world is still continuing on is that so that more people might come to know God and be found with him on that last day. If you don't know Jesus here this evening personally, then think of these words of Jesus about the time. What does he say at the beginning of Mark's Gospel? The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent. Turn around from yourself and and believe in the good news. We're in the last days, the last hour. That's our time right now. Consider the time. So what might have helped me when I walked onto that train last week? Well, it might have helped me. Not so much if I'd thought, well, do I really need to do my college homework on the train right now, or could I use that time better if I talked to my old friend? Perhaps it would have helped me more if I'd thought, the time is actually the gospel time. It's the gospel age of opportunity right now. Perhaps then, if I'd had that in my mind, I might have reached out my hand and tapped my friend on the shoulder and said, hey, and who knows what might have happened. Consider the time. Secondly, consider your priorities. You see, the issue for the people wasn't just that the time 
that they found themselves in. It would appear that although the harvest was failing and, and they were poor and there was a drought, they'd still managed to build, just not God's house. It would seem that for the people it was the time to build their own homes instead. And not just build a basic shelter, but to build them in some degree of comfort. Look at verse 3. They say, the people say, the time hasn't come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your panelled houses while this house remains a ruin? They're living in their own panelled houses while the house of God is a heap of stones. They've shown wrong priorities. Look down at at verse 9 where we get this idea coming again. The second half of verse 9. Because, says the Lord, of my house, which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with your own house. Literally in that, uh, in that verse, what, it, what, what the Hebrew says is, while my house is in ruins, each of you run to your own house. That image of people running to their own houses while there's a heap of stones in the middle of Jerusalem. You see, the people are zealous about their own homes. They run to their own homes. They're excited about their own homes. They're zealous about their own pleasure. They're zealous about their own honour. They're correspondingly not zealous for God's honour and his pleasure or his house. And so the call from the Lord, build my house. Imagine an, is- uh, an interview with Izzy the Israelite. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a bad time to build a temple right now, she says, a, a really, really bad time. The harvests, they've just been awful. Oh, we're running out of money. The, the people, well, they're not very well clothed. You know, how can a cold man work? It just doesn't happen, does it? There's a few things to get straight first, she says. <laughs> oh, but by the way, you should come over next week and see our place. You'd be really impressed. Latest tech on the wall. It's amazing. You see, their zeal was for themselves, but not for the Lord. The poor harvests and the drought hadn't stopped them building their own houses, but it had been reason enough for them to stop building God's house. Well, how can we assess our priorities? How can we consider them? How can we put them to our hearts, if you like? Well, perhaps we can ask uh, the question, what do we run to? What do we run to? That's how the people are described, aren't they? Running to their house. What do we run to? In other words, what excites us the most in life? I'm not going to fill in all the kinds of examples that you could have at this point because it literally could be any and everything in creation. Some helpful measures could be, though, what do I spend my time doing? What do I spend my money on? Where do I put my imagination and my thought? Where where does my mind turn to when I've got nothing else to think about? Consider your priorities. Just before we move on to our third and final point, I think it's really important to say here that uh, this could come across as a bit of a beat-up, couldn't it? Consider the time. Consider your priorities. When actually the reality is, as I look out here, many of us are busting a gut for God and for his kingdom here in the church and, and beyond these walls, beyond this body. Well, perhaps we might be encouraged by these words in Haggai. Could we think about them a different way? Could we see them too? as a vindication of our sacrifice, as a commendation of our priorities when we put God and his kingdom first over other things in our lives? 
Could we see them as an approval of the life which does put God first? Could we see them as an appreciation as we're aware of the urgency of the time that we're in? Well, we're going to think thirdly and finally about the third consideration that Haggai lists before us, and that is this. Consider God, or consider me, says the Lord. You see, if the people had given careful thought to their ways, their time and their priorities, then perhaps they would have made the connection that God makes explicit between their lack of regard for the temple and the drought that they're experiencing, which is leading to such frustration. Look down at verses 9 to 11. God says, you expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty? Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house or your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. You see, what these verses are telling us, what God is saying to the people, is that there is a connection between the drought that you're experiencing and the ruin in, the, in your midst, the heap of stones. Specifically, the disobedience of the people to not build the temple has led to the drought in the land. Now, we'll only understand this if we understand the Old Testament situation that the people were in. You see, the people were in a covenant with God. God had promised to make this people a great nation, numbering many, many people. He had promised to give them a land. He would promised to bless them and to be with them. But he also had given them his law. And he had given them clear instructions for how they were to live and how they should honour and please him. And having a house, a place where the people could meet with God and God with them, was central to that. And as we've seen, it was the very reason that the people had come back to Jerusalem in the first place. It was even a prerequisite for the, the coming of the Messiah, for there to be a temple in Jerusalem. And Deuteronomy 28, where Moses receives the law from the Lord, talks about this. Let me read just one verse from you from Deuteronomy 28 and verse 23. It explains the blessings and the curses of the people, if they're obedient or not. Deuteronomy chapter 28, and I've got written down here verse 23. Uh, there we are. Yes, I thought it wasn't right, but I think it is right. That's good. The sky over your head will be bronze, the ground beneath you iron, the Lord will turn the rain of your country into dust and powder. It will come down from the skies. You see, there was a, a promise of a curse on the people and the disobedience. And one of those curses was drought. And here are the people, and they're experiencing drought. And really, they should have seen, they should have figured it out for themselves. They should have realized that the drought they were experiencing was due to their disobedience from the Lord. Hence, the Lord urges them to consider their ways. We might bristle a little, mightn't we, at what God is doing here. Causing a drought just to get their attention? To get these guys to build his house? It's a bit kind of underhand, isn't it? Mean? Well, no, actually. Firstly, it's entirely consistent in the way in which the people and God had agreed to relate. Their covenant would work like this. There should have been no surprises for the people. And secondly, we must keep in mind the magnitude of the people's wrong priorities. They panelled their houses while leaving the house of the Lord in ruins. They cared more for themselves about God. That was the core issue. And so their actions were indicative of the need, not simply to, to correct their course, but to change 
their course and focus completely. I'll never forget the time I first, first drove on the motorway and I went a little bit close to the hard shoulder. You ever done that? And brrr, you think the car's about to explode and you've just hit the rumble strip on, on the hard shoulder. That's all it is. Oof, you can just move the steering wheel slightly and you're back on the lane. Well, see, the people of God here, this isn't a rumble strip. Just a little turn. No, it's a complete lane change. They need to go from slow to fast. They've got the wrong priorities completely. They've looked to themselves. And God is saying here, you should have looked to me. You should have put me first. You see, the people looked out and saw only the drought and all the problems. Not the right time to attempt this, and they retreated to their panelled houses. But God joins the dots between that, that, that pile of stones and the drought, and he proposes an architectural solution to an agricultural problem. Build my house, he says, that I may take pleasure in it and be honoured. So here's a great place to end this evening, back in that key verse from verse 8, isn't it? Think about this as we consider God. Great place to end with the honour and the pleasure of God. Because you see, when we consider our ways, as this passage encourages us to, it's not about passing the test, right? Do I spend enough time serving the church? Have I got my, my priorities exactly right in absolutely every area right now? No, really to consider our ways is to consider God, to consider how to honour him, to consider how we might please him. It's about that relationship, not about passing a test. And what an amazing thought to think that we, who are unclean and dishonourable and impure, might honour and please God, the one who is pure and clean and wonderful. And I think what these verses are saying to us is, would we honour God? Well, throw your all behind the kingdom of God. Your time, your money, your resources, your energy, your love. And would we please God? What an awesome thought to even consider that we might do something that pleases the Lord. Here it is. Build the church. Invest in each other. Reach out with the gospel. Put the kingdom of God first. You see, next time I get out the car and I see that neighbour whose name I don't even know, maybe instead of turning my back and wandering towards the house or nodding, I might think about honouring God. I might swallow my pride. I might embrace the awkward. I might step over the road and say hello. Next time I rush to do and not to pray, maybe I might think about the pleasure of God, that he would be pleased. He would be pleased if I were to stop what I was doing and prayed for what I was about to do. Prayed for church members, prayed for the church, prayed for friends and neighbours, prayed for his kingdom to come. Perhaps that would actually help me to remember the time and to get my priorities straight. As we sit, let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for these words. We thank you that you spoke through the prophet Haggai all those years, months, days ago. We thank you that it's a word that addresses us so relevantly today. We pray, our Heavenly Father, that you might help us to remember the time in which we live, this time of gospel opportunity, and to be bold and courageous in taking the opportunities you place our way. 
We pray that you may help us to have the right priorities, to put you first above all other things. We pray, Heavenly Father, that we may fix our eyes upon you, to consider you, to think about your honour and your pleasure, and to live for you in all we do and say. For we ask it in the precious name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, we're going to conclude our time this evening.